This is a Rooster Teeth production. In 1872, an American merchant ship was discovered adrift in the Atlantic Ocean. While the ship remained intact and the crew's belongings were untouched, the crew themselves had completely disappeared, never to be seen again. Today, we kick off our month of disappearance-themed episodes with the baffling story of the Mary Celeste. This is Red Web. everybody and welcome to disappearance month we're gonna call it we're gonna do a lot of stories this month about uh wild disappearances from the past starting off with mary celeste i'm trevor collins that's alfredo diaz i bring him into the mystery uh he reacts on the fly asking questions because this is the first time he's ever heard of these stories every week fredo i'm excited about this one a little ghost story action a little uh ghost ship action Oh man, like a ghost ship? That that's cool. Like this this sounds like a fun one. Um also I, I would never be kidnapped on a ship because I have motion sickness and I would throw up all over my <laughs> captive. So that that thought crossed my mind for some reason. I don't know. But could you imagine like get him? There he is like, in all of his glory. Captain Seasick. <laughs> uh never mind, we'll leave that one here. <laughs> no one dare go against Captain Seasick for risk of getting their, <laughs> yeah. their pearls all vomity. That'd be the worst captain ever. I would just vomit <laughs> all over the map. All over the food, <laughs> any type of plans that we have, I'm just vomiting constantly. <laughs> it's just constant vomit. I'm just, I'm picturing a beautiful highlight reel, a little vignette, a little sepia tone as you're like the captain. And we're going to have to recreate this now. You're walking around doing your captainly duties. Why are we always swabbing the poop deck, captain? Uh, and it's because uh, you vomit onto it and that gives you the reason. And in the next clip, you're you're eating dinner, looking at a map, spewing all over it. <laughs> Um, the good news is that someone's going to have a full-time job because at this point on the ship, we would have to have someone that mops full-time. Absolutely. Also, 24-7 in shifts. Did people captain from a distance? You know what I mean? Like, what if I'm like, all right, I'm going <gasps> to chill on this island. I need, I, need, <laughs> I, need to, I need a break. Y'all go off and do pirate stuff for like a month. And that's come called on a back. mutiny. I mean, <laughs> and, yeah, that's, a, that's the easiest mutiny that's ever happened. Like, all right, you guys got this. You, uh, look, the thing looks spot. They're like 100 yards away already. <laughs> yeah. You're looking good. Keep going. Keep going. I'm the captain of that ship. You turn around and point to it to some nice young lady. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's <laughs> look, my ship. That's my ship. Look, hey, I'm the captain. Wait, hold on. I'm they're changing the, the flag. Captain. Why did they change the flag? Okay, hold on. They're painting the ship. What? <laughs> hold on. They changed the name. Yeah, this is maybe the first drone pirate ship. Uh, <laughs> maybe control it with a couple of a couple of coconuts and a sea turtle. This is we've, we've anyway. We, we got to get back to the <laughs> we got to get back to the Mary Celeste, uh, a ship that wound up missing everybody, mostly untouched. We're gonna go through the history and the discovery of this ship uh, because it has quite the extensive history. It's been through a lot of different owners, a lot of different purposes. And a couple different names. So why don't we dive into the history of this ship, huh? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Captain Seasick. The Mary Celeste was a wooden ship built in 1860 and launched in Spencer's Island, Nova Scotia on May 18th, 1861, initially known as the Amazon. On its maiden voyage in June, the Amazon carried timber to London, so it constantly went back and forth across the old Atlantic at this time. The ship's captain was was also the co-owner and that was Robert McLellan. Not long after the ship had left, the Amazon had returned to Spencer's Island because McLellan had come down with pneumonia, and he actually died later on in June, specifically on June 19th. At this point in time, John Nutting Parker took over as captain to complete the journey, but this time the ship crashed into another ship and sank it. So it crashed into a second boat, that second boat sank. Oh. Damn. So we got a we got a beefy one here. Boat one was a beefier boat. Yeah. Yeah. Amazon's out here making memories, killing captains and other boats. Um, And after this, the Amazon sailed pretty much uneventfully for the next few years until it had another crash in October of 1867 at Cape Breton Island. 
The crash was so bad that the owners actually abandoned the wreck, leaving it there. Uh, but because of all of these events, some say that the Mary Celeste was doomed from the start. There was a lot going on. A pretty dark history when you really looked at it. I mean, not a lot of ships at this time weathered so many crashes and continued to live to tell the tale. So we're thinking, okay, well, why is anyone even talking about it? Isn't it abandoned? Well, shortly after being abandoned, it was sold twice before it was finally purchased by Richard W. Haynes, who got the ship out of there, restored it, and then renamed the ship. Maybe thinking he can flip it like a cheap home, he renamed it Mary Celeste. It just seems, I, I mean, I guess to get rid of the ship's history. Probably. Maybe, the, yeah. you know, during these times people knew like, oh, okay, I know that ship or I know of that ship and this ship is just getting smashed into everything. Right. Someone needs like, what's the Carfax on this ship? Because yeah. you got a new name, but you got some old bones in there, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, been through a lot, but um, so now we have a refurbished ship, new name, excellent. Uh, Richard W. Haynes, now the current owner. In 1869, the ship was then seized by creditors and then expanded and then sold to new owners in 1872. So this ship is going through a lot. It's seeing a lot of new hands, whatever. Yeah, it's shifting around constantly. Right. But now we have our our titular name. We we have where we're starting. Uh, One of the new owners and the new captain of the ship was Benjamin Spooner Briggs. Briggs was a very religious man from a sailing family. He had 18 years of experience and was said to have carefully selected his crew. So this is the man who is going to be at the helm when the mystery kicks off. Okay. All the crew members were people that had previously sailed with this guy, uh, or they had strong letters of recommendation. So this guy's he's got confidence. He's got 18 years of experience, and all of these people should know what's up, and out he sails. So on November 5th of 1872, the Mary Celeste set sail from New York City to bring 1,701 Barrels of denatured alcohol to Genoa, Italy. A lot of alcohol. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. That's what they're trying. Okay. I would think mm-hmm. maybe tea. Tea back then. Very big. Big, yeah. It's true. I mean, tea's still huge now, just not as big in America. I guess, right, I yeah. Some bad memories there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was Briggs' first time sailing the Mary Celeste, and the ship's first time sailing after being refitted. So, you can imagine now, with a little bit of hindsight, knowing where we're going with this mystery, that there might be a few issues underlying, right? Maybe some of these retrofits or refurbishings were kind of slop jobs, hiding some otherwise issues with the ship. It's hard to say, but we'll get into it with the discovery. Now, back to the ship and its maiden voyage, we have the crew on board, obviously, but that also included Briggs' wife, Sarah, and his two-year-old daughter, Sophia, as well as the seven selected sailors. Now, their son, Arthur, had stayed behind with his grandmother since he had just started school. And around the same time that this ship took off, there was another ship, the De Grazia, that was preparing to leave Hoboken, New Jersey, for Genoa as well. Before the Mary Celeste left, Briggs wrote to his mother that the vessel was, quote, is in beautiful trim, and I hope we shall have a fine passage. And that was his last uh, message to his family, to his mother, before heading out. So let's jump forward now. We know about the history of the ship. Maybe uh, some of that will come up in the, in the theories. But let's talk about how the ship was discovered and what happened. Uh, what, what people thought about when they... When, listen, we got a ghost ship on our hands. Yeah, How'd that come about? How does this turn out bad? Like, and I think the, one of the things that I'm, I'm excited to get to is how do we know? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it's a, why are we classifying it as a ghost ship? Right. What information gets back to us? How does it get back to us? Yeah. So just about a month after setting sail, we're at December 4th, 1872. Or if you consider sea time, this is actually exactly a month later on December 5th, 1872. The De Grazia was halfway between the Azores and Portugal when Captain David Morehouse spotted the Mary Celeste heading directly towards their ship. It was 400 miles east of the Azores, the nine islands west of Portugal, just to give you an idea of where this is. Mm -hmm. And the Mary Celeste was moving erratically. No one could be seen on deck. And so, of course, the De Grazia sent some signals, basically saying, hey, is everything okay? Some light signals, some whatever, to basically hail the ship and inquire as to what was going on. It's probably just someone drunk off of the, the shipment just wailing on that. <laughs> <laughs> on the ship, on the wheel. Could you imagine? 
I'm just picturing now Cotton Seasick, who's got like he's drank half the supply on the long trip to Portugal, and he's flinging the wheel left and right willy nilly, carving S's in the ocean. Yup. Oh, hey, you see that big rock? Check out this drift. <laughs> you want to see a boat drift? Ah, uh, man. I mean, honestly, though. And, and I think, as always, your gut check is right on point because I think this is, in my humble, ignorant opinion, I think that that might have something to do with it. But we'll dive oh, in. We'll oh. dive in a little more here, though. Yeah. So it's moving erratically. The Digratia is like, all right, let's see if they're if they're going to respond to some signals. Okay, there's no response from the Mary Celeste. So Captain Morehouse uh, sends his ship over there and then sends a handful of his crew on a small boat to check the the crew of the Mary Celeste. Well, when they reached the boat, Captain Briggs, his family, and the crew were all entirely missing, nowhere to be found. All of their belongings were actually still there, including the 1,700 barrels that were in transit. The only things that they could find that were missing, and this will also be important, I think, for the theories, were a lifeboat, the ship's papers, and a handful of the captain's instruments such as the navigation book, the chronometer, and the sextant. Basically, something that you would use to navigate. So immediately, we're already setting the tone of, did they all flee the ship for whatever reason on this lifeboat with whatever tools they could carry onto this boat in order to navigate? P perhaps, but why is a, is a big question yeah. here. Yeah, because like the personal belongings gone, but the uh, tool... No. They're, no, they're no, no, no. I mean, sorry. The, the personal belongings are still there. What's yeah. gone is the tools to navigate. Yes. And a lifeboat for sure. <sighs> and some papers to like probably write on, do some little calculations. Oh man. What if they're a hijack and there was made to look like that? I don't know. Oh, that's <laughs> listen. They're all on the table right now. Yep. A lot of possibilities. So when they, when they got on the ship, they noticed that the interior was clean, but noticeably wet. And this will come up later, I think. Uh, the sails seemed to be set poorly. So maybe the, the sails had been set a while ago or, or wind had taken over and in some way basically indicating that this ship might have been empty for a while. And some of the rigging was actually damaged, but the Mary Celeste was still considered seaworthy, obviously because it was floating about, mm -hmm. uh, kind of a, under its own volition at this point. They found what they called was a sounding rod back in the day. This was a tool that they used to measure the amount of water at the bottom of a ship, making sure, you know, the ship is in healthy standing, just a, a way to check the ship. They found that there was a makeshift sounding rod on the deck, not normally where you would store the sounding rod just strewn about on the ground. I don't even think that the iron rod that they used to be the weight, it's like a string with a weight. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't even think that they were together with the string. I think uh, it's almost as if they dropped it then and there and fled. Again, forecasting or foreshadowing a lot of the theories here. The binnacle, which is essentially an instrument that you'd see where the helmsman would stand, it contains the compass, etc., uh, protects a bunch of equipment inside of it for navigating. It was moved from its original position, and the glass cover that houses the compass was shattered. There was enough food and drinking water on the boat for six months of travel, and the ship was in mostly good condition, so it was believed that some extraordinary circumstance must have forced them from the ship or must have caused them to decide to leave the ship, whatever it might be. It did not appear that the ship had experienced a crash or any hazardous weather, and after its discovery, the ghost ship Mary Celeste was towed over to Gibraltar. The salvage court hearings were held in Gibraltar beginning on December 17th, and they lasted about three months as they tried to figure out what was going on here and how they should settle the insurance case on the ship, uh, because it was obviously a very strange situation. You have the Digratia who, who comes to its aid. There's no one there, but it's really hard to say. And again, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself with the mm -hmm. theories, but were they involved or did they truly find... A, an Ooh, empty ship. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did they hijack it and then pretend? Right. Yep. Get some of that insurance money because, you know, as it stands, they did actually eventually pay out after the hearings. Uh, these aren't in my notes, so I'm firing from the hip here, but I know they, they paid out for the Mary Celeste uh, damage and whatnot to the De Gratia, which doesn't really make sense to me. But I guess they're like, hey, at least thanks for bringing the ship in. So, you know, we have that. Uh, but they didn't pay the right. full uh, insurance amount or the full contractual amount or what have you. Just a, a small sliver of it. But um, that does give you some potential motive 
involved mm -hmm. here. But let's look back on the ship's logs real quick because this is uh, this is another interesting insight that came up once the ship was towed over. Uh, we have the most recent log was from November 25th at 8 a.m., which was nine days before the ghost ship was actually discovered. So now we have a nine-day window where possibly anything could have happened, but there was no mention in these logs of any danger or bad weather. Christian, actually, I don't know if we have the log itself. I think there might be an image of the log somewhere. But if we have it, I'd love to read what they had written. I know it was super simple. While he looks for that, though, what's interesting is that logs were usually written every single hour. And so this Damn. is our best insight as to what could have possibly happened. Obviously, every hour isn't the best slice of life to figure out what happened in the, the thick of things. If you're getting jumped, you're not really going to be like, we're getting jumped <laughs> presently. Let yeah. me write this in my book. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the fact that they seem Dude. nonchalant and we'll see what Christian is able to find about the logs here in a second makes it all the more interesting all the more mysterious especially then knowing that the ship was out for nine days just kind of floating about and it just happened to be seen by a fellow ship that was uh also heading to the same place from the states so how do we know that it's been floating for nine days has it been because of like i don't know maybe the barnacles that grew on the side of the ship or that's a good question i would think it's purely because of the log the log Ooh, okay. was most recently dated November 25th, 8 a.m. That makes sense, yeah. And then nine days later uh, is when the De Gratia says that they found the ship and towed him in. Well, I don't think we have access to the logs themselves. Per the sources that we were looking at, it recorded the Mary Celeste's position then as 37 degrees, one minute north, 25 degrees, one minute west off Santa Maria Island in the Azores, which is nearly 400 nautical miles or 740 kilometers from the point where the De Gratia encountered her. I'm typing it in now. It makes sense because I put in the coordinates and when I, when I look out here, they are absolutely, let's see, Sao Paulo or Sao Pedro? Uh, there, maybe that's a city on this island, but yeah, they were very close to uh, one of the nine islands out uh, out west of Portugal. So now this makes me start thinking, just because of these logs and the timing and whatnot, the missing lifeboat, did they think they anchored or did they think the ship was fine or did some people go aboard or uh, to the island? That's like yet another possible theory here, just based on what we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, the, these islands... I don't know, like if they actually jumped off on the lifeboat and got to the other islands, I don't, would it be, are these islands like big enough and like secluded enough where people wouldn't really be able to find them or they wouldn't have been able to be found if they wanted to? I'm going to send you the, the link here to the Google Maps coordinate location yeah. because while if you scroll all the way out and you look at New York City, draw a linear line from that all the way to, let's just pick Spain uh, or the Strait of Gibraltar. It's about 70% of the way to the Strait of Gibraltar, but still quite in the middle of the ocean. And the, and the islands yeah. are very small. So it is, it's remote, but not uninhabited in any way. I mean, there's an airport out there now. I don't know right. at this particular time. But during that time frame. Yeah. Still might have been like, damn, that's really out there. <laughs> it's very out there. Holy cow. Could you imagine if they were like, hey, you know what? Let's look, let's pop off. Let's pop off a couple of these barrels, have a party, go over there, party on the island before we get to Portugal, Spain and do the whole business thing. You know, there's 1,700 barrels here. They're not going to be able to count that high. So let's just like let's down <laughs> just, some and get out there, baby. Just morale. And then uh, they got real drunk. They lifeboated over to the island and then they went, hey, Smithers, did you strap down the boat? And then he goes, yo, John, you don't strap down a boat. You put down an anchor. And he goes, whatever, Smithers, you put down the anchor. And he says, no, no, John, that was your job. And he goes, oh, my God. And then they turn around and the boat's just veering wildly off into the horizon. Yeah. <laughs> Captain Seasick at it again. But in that wild story, like, they're still alive doing their right. thing. You think yeah. they'd show up eventually, turn up somewhere eventually. Yeah. Maybe this was the odd case of the Hungry Games, and they ate each other bones and all. Oh, God, but evidence would be somewhere, no? And then whoever was last had to just eat himself? I don't know. <laughs> I, I think the really interesting thing is, right, if they just disappeared, like, oh, man, what kind of, like, supernatural thing are we going to be, like, discussing here? But the fact that, I guess, um, navigational equipment and the lifeboat is gone, like, right? you know what I mean? 
Ghosts just don't go, all right, let's make it look like they just left. <laughs> Hundo P. I mean, by all accounts, everyone that's looking at this ship and saying, okay, you got the missing navigation materials, the missing lifeboat, boom, they chose to leave. Whatever reason, they chose to leave. And, and looking at the other remaining major clue being the log, I'm inclined to believe that they departed for that island. Yeah, I mean, you think, like, that's what they did. Mm-hmm. Because where else are they going to go? It's so far out in the middle of nowhere. Right. Well, there's another piece of evidence that I want to discuss, and then we'll dive into the theories. But it seems that they found a sword on board that had some blood on it. And it may have been used to cut the sails as well, because whatever the substance was, blood or otherwise, was also found on the sails. So, you either have some sort of mutiny happening, perhaps, some sort of fights happening, someone sabotaging the ship, or someone trying to recreate Hook and Peter Pan and sliding down the sails heroic style, <laughs> sticking the sword in the sails, it'll slow you down. And so because of this, uh, getting back on track a little bit, the Attorney General of Gibraltar, Frederick Sully Flood, believed that a mutiny of some sort had occurred on board and that alcohol and or the De Gratia had something to do with it. But ultimately, the last piece of information, uh, which seemingly verifies that the ship had been sailing on its own for quite some time, which would then recuse the De Gratia of any sort of foul play, was that the Mary Celeste had been found pretty far off its planned course. So whatever was going on, there was either a mutiny that sent it that way or everybody was off board and the ship kind of veered itself off course naturally over those days. But with all of that said, all of that foreshadowing, all of those ideas that I know we're all dripping with, let's dive into the theories and discuss perhaps what happened to the unfortunate crew and family members of the Mary Celeste. Yeah, I mean, I guess like immunity doesn't necessarily mean you want the ship. Sure. Could just be that there's an argument or something. Yeah, they could have mutinied, had them walk the plank, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then just go, all right, I'm going to take this lifeboat. I want off of this thing. I mean, remember, you know, he picked what seems like a very qualified crew. And his parameters for that were, I've worked with you before and you were awesome. And or I have a strong letter of recommendation from someone I trust. Now, you can think of it in two ways. If you know the crew very well, there could be personal grudges involved there. There could be the fact that maybe six of the crew members all knew each other and one was, I've got this letter of recommendation that I forged. I'm just True. making that up. But, you but know, I'm just so. I'm basically trying to reverse engineer any sort of social strains that happened. Obviously, there was a child on board. There's one woman. And so there is a lot of possibility here when you really dive into it. So let's dive into the theories. The first one being kind of in the same vein as what you and I were just talking about, in that there is some sort of foul play going on with the crew and the family and the captain and maybe some other third parties. Now, as I mentioned during the investigation, it was suggested that there could have been a mutiny on board the Mary Celeste. And as I mentioned even prior to that, that they were carrying a lot of alcohol. Now it's denatured alcohol, but that doesn't really stop anybody from drinking it. It is still possible to drink. And it turns out that nine of the barrels that they were supposedly shipping, obviously not meant for consumption, but rather what they were transporting, were found empty. So it's possible that the crew drank it for some reason, whatever the reason would be. Denatured alcohol is ethanol or grain alcohol that contains additional chemicals called denaturants and make it unfit for human consumption may either have a bad taste or may be toxic. One common toxic denature is methanol and methyl alcohol. So it's not impossible that they didn't drink it. Maybe they thought it was alcohol and I don't know why nine barrels of the stuff would be empty. I feel like one sip and I would have been like, pass. But the theory purports that the crew got a hold of these nine barrels, consumed them, grew frustrated with Captain Briggs and started some sort of argument. And from this, there could have been a scuffle what? that ended up with them killing Briggs and his family only to then leave on one of the ship's lifeboats. Now, it was suggested during the investigation that since two of the sailors, okay, two of the sailors that were on board were brothers and their belongings were not found on the ship, that they had something to do with it, that perhaps they were the ones that started the mutiny. However, again, as the investigation unfolded, it turns out that the reason their belongings were missing were not because they took them and left, but because they had lost them in a previous shipwreck. We've got these boys going from one shipwreck to another, it seems. 
But there's a lot of other wrinkles in this theory when you really look at it. Oh, damn. Okay, I was about to say that. That's a pretty good theory. It's a good theory, for sure. Uh, especially with the limited information. They drink. Why did they drink it? And if it's possibly, like, toxic. Yeah. Maybe they just didn't know. Maybe they misunderstood True, the idea. yeah, like, I mean... Because I, listen, I had to look up denatured alcohol. So, yeah. You know, my barrier for understanding is I'm going to Google it and see what I see, or I'm going to ask somebody in the mid-1800s what it is. They might have just been like, listen, I'm I'm itching for a drink. We got yeah. 1,701 barrels down there. They're never going to notice. Right. But, uh, and no one knew the wiser. Or no one yeah. knew the wiser. And so, I mean, we can continue to extrapolate on this theory that maybe they face some sort of hallucinations or toxicity effects of some sort and maybe whatever, uh, whether even if it wasn't like they got drunk on it and, and started arguing, it could have been any number of physical effects that led them overboard. But ultimately, like when it comes to a mutiny, it seems unlikely because there weren't too many signs of violence and Briggs yeah. was known to be a good captain, right? He had worked with these sailors before as well. So he wouldn't grab people that he didn't really have a strong relationship exactly. with. So he have an existing relationship. Granted, you could have a situation where there was a grudge that was kept secret, mm -hmm. and then they decided to finally take advantage um, of a situation. Right. But if this person was trusted. Also, again, we, we were talking about it seconds ago. There's just like no signs of this, right? Like, if you're if you're fighting, tearing stuff up, and and getting into a scuffle, then there's gonna be blood. There's gonna be I don't know. Right. There's gonna be. Uh, I feel like there'd be a lot more evidence of that. Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, uh, and that and that's pretty much why a lot of people say, "No, I don't know if this was a mutiny because of that." And and in the investigation, you know, Attorney General over at Gibraltar, remember Frederick Sully Flood, he actually believed that the De Gratia crew was hiding something, whether it was information or that they knew something that they weren't saying. But ultimately, no information and no evidence could be found with regards to his inclinations. This this is just such a mysterious circumstance where it feels so clear cut, so so dry uh, when you look at some of the evidence. But the number of stories you can extrapolate from the few remaining variables definitely leave a lot of room for error and a lot of room for what ifs. Uh, and you know. I don't know, like, and we will talk about the De Gratia crew in the next theory here in just a second. But one other thing, one other wrinkle that I want to mention here in this theory is that when further investigated, the supposed bloodstains that were found on the sword and the sails were not in fact blood at all. It was actually rust, which, okay, that makes sense. Uh, but I guess they had a rusty sword for some reason that was out and about on the ship deck just another reason to or another piece of evidence to claim that the ship had been untouched for at least a few days and floating yeah. about i mean i thought you were gonna say something like uh i don't know they usually cut up fish or something yeah i mean that makes sense too but the fact that it like i mean i guess it's reddish but they're like is this is this blood no no that's just rust it's normal on a sword but then why is it also on the sails like who was cutting the sails or i don't know it's weird why they would be cutting sails or, or cutting the ropes to the sails or something? I, I don't know. There's just, I mean, again, you know, like we're talking possibly ghost ship, but ghosts don't like pick up equipment and then leave. Right. But maybe some weird things were happening on the ship and then the people who had the opportunity took it and they grabbed some stuff and left. Even then, I feel like they would pop up somewhere. Yeah. I mean, then again, it could be a... a a series of unfortunate events maybe there were we don't know if there was like storms that were happening during this time and they just got washed away you know they took their chances with the sea and it and it didn't work out yeah for sure i don't know man like you know just kind of on the foul play front you know maybe it was pirates pirates came aboard abducted True. The, abducted but then the they people didn't take all the good stuff but yeah most of the stuff wasn't touched most of the stuff was left behind expensive belongings all of the cargo whatever else i mean it it does feel <sighs> like they fled or that they left on their own volition just because lifeboat navigation equipment and some papers leave everything else behind we gotta go uh it almost that's, seems like they planned on returning i mean that's another thing too right like even if there was a mutiny or something like that You'd think that they'd still take the valuables if they left. Like, yeah. why? 
why leave that there? You know what I mean? That's just like easy money and you're already committing crimes and whatnot already. Like why stop there? Oh, man. Right. It's I don't know. Baffling. It's very confusing. It's I mean, that especially piece, that piece that, that gets me, right? Like why right. is the, that boat missing and, and navigational tools? Yeah. Well, we have a couple other like theories I want to dive into, but I can't get my mind off the idea that they're on that island uh, and they intended to come back. But let's dive into the De Gracia crew and see how the investigation unfolds with them, or as far as the, the theories are concerned. What's up, Worldwide Webbers? I just came up with that, so I hope you like it. Uh, <laughs> this is Trevor Collins, as always. With a little bit of a housekeeping between the uh, between the mystery and the theories. Hope you're doing well. RTX is officially wrapped. The annual convention that we took part in, and it was uh, it was awesome. It was so cool to be able to see you all at the uh, Red Web panel, which we posted on our YouTube channel, YouTube.com/RedWebPod. Uh, but we also had uh, some happy hours where we got to sit down with some of the task force, some of you all, and speak our minds on some of the theories and some of the mysteries we've covered. It was great. It was so much fun. Next year, we're hoping that it could be in person so you can actually come on over and we get to meet you all in person and have a bigger annual meeting of the minds uh, with the task force. And one last thing, also just a quick reminder to all of those in the task force or those who are task force hopefuls who want to uh, purchase some of our Red Web merch, you can always do that at store.roosterteeth.com. And if you want to hit us up on email, I've seen a couple of you ask, it is redweb at roosterteeth.com. All right. Now, with all that said, I have some fantastic sponsors to talk to you about. This episode of Red Web is sponsored by HelloFresh. Look, no one wants to spend time at a grocery store searching for that one recipe ingredient and dealing with all those folks that you have to navigate around, okay? That's why you need HelloFresh. HelloFresh sends fresh, pre-measured seasonal recipes directly to you so you never have to wrestle with a grocery store ever again. Their recipes are super easy and fast to make. They even provide pictures with steps to guide you along the way nice and easy. HelloFresh offers 50 Weekly recipes in all kinds of flavors and cuisines so you don't have to worry about getting bored with the same thing each week. There's something for everyone, plus 90% of their ingredients are sourced from farmers to ensure the freshest produce and proteins. I have had a slew of meals from HelloFresh. I could name a, a, a thousand different meals, but the one I always go back to is the firecracker meatballs. They are fantastic. They make me feel like a chef. And I think, honestly, my favorite part about it is when I end the workday and I go to think about dinner, I don't have to think about what I'm going to eat or what I need to make, and nor do I have to think about going to the grocery store when I run out. They just send a new batch each week, and it's very convenient, and, uh, and I greatly appreciate it. If you're interested, go to HelloFresh.com slash RedWeb14, that's 1-4, uh, and use code RedWeb14, also 14, you know, back and forth. And that gets you 14 free meals plus free shipping. And we all love that free shipping, am I right? So that's 14 free meals at HelloFresh.com slash R-E-D-W-E-B-1-4, and it's the same as the code RedWeb14. Use that at checkout, 14 free meals. This episode of Red Web is also sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. If you feel stuck in your life and just want some help achieving your goals, BetterHelp can help. Whether it's job stuff, interpersonal dynamics, or even juggling responsibilities, everyone can use a chance to unload. BetterHelp is customizable online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if that's not your speed. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain from it. See if it's for you. As I mentioned, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and you all, the task force, can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com redweb. That's B-E-T-T-E-R. H-E-L-P dot com slash red web. And with those fine messages out of the way, let's dive right back into the mystery. So the next theory I want to talk about, as I mentioned, stems from the Attorney General of Gibraltar, who believes that the De Gratia crew was somehow involved. Whatever that was, whatever that looked like, 
they were involved with the disappearance of the Mary Celeste crew. Now, let's reflect on the laws of the time, because we have ships, we have cruises, totally different though than the 1800s. In maritime law, it says that sailors who assist a wrecked or abandoned ship are entitled to a reward, often in the amount that the ship is insured for. Damn. So it's possible, right, that uh, if you want to go this direction, that Morehouse on the Odegratia and his crew threw the Mary Celeste crew overboard to make the ship appear like it was abandoned in order to get this reward. They said, hey, we're going to look like heroes. This is easy money. Let's uh, let's throw these crew members over ship, drag it on into Gibraltar, get that fine money, and then head to Genoa. See, the thing there is, though, this is a captain that was seemed like was well respected trusted and known yeah so why throw it away for that right why throw it away and on top of that not only was, were they both respected and known i think they both knew each other that they were friends or on good terms it seems so it definitely feels unlikely and then combining that with the fact that the ship for all intents and purposes from what little evidence we have seems like it was on its own for several days by the time it was found unless like they met up with them, kicked them overboard, hijacked the ship. Then I, I mean, there's a couple ways you can spin this, but the damage right. that the ship took, while not great, definitely seemed like it weathered some natural damage from kind of just being out there alone. So it's definitely compelling. There's definitely with all the holes in the story, it's definitely a possibility, and that and that's why the attorney general is so suspicious. But I guess my own personal inclination doesn't seem. Like, this is, like, the strongest answer for sure. I completely agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, there's a... Right, there's this theory, and then a bunch of different kind of, like, paths that you can think of it right. taking. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's hard It's hard to follow when you have, like, a, a person that is, like, known, respected, and then from there is working with people as well. You know what I mean? It just feels like... Also, there's, like... The person had a family and everything. I right. don't know. It just seems like you have a consistent job doing this thing. Right. Yeah. Why mess with a good thing? Right. Well, maybe the money was just too good. I mean, so despite those wrinkles, people kind of pushed forward and said, well, what, what about this? What if instead uh, the two captains, because they knew each other, actually planned this, that this was some sort of fraud, insurance fraud, that they both planned ahead of time together and that they staged this event because they were on very similar paths from New Jersey and New York City over to Genoa, Italy. But the fact that the Briggs family and the crew are completely disappeared kind of flies in the face of that. I mean, unless they got some of that money and lived a whole new life on that tiny island and somehow no one knew that they were there, I don't think that you plan to commit insurance fraud and then disappear like that. So again, it's a good attempt I'm not sure if I'm subscribing to it so much. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so many like reasons not to in my, mm -hmm. in my head. But ultimately, and I think the salvage hearings kind of agreed in a way because they didn't really find any evidence that the De Grazia had any involvement with the crew's disappearance. And when it came to the insurance money, they did bring the ship in and the ship was insured for $46,000 back then. Yeah, good money. For the De Gratia crew, only received one-sixth of that salvage reward, which is why, you know, people think that there was some suspicion going on. I mean, obviously, they didn't pay out the full amount. They thought, regardless of the lack of evidence, and maybe it's just because they didn't want to pay out that amount of money, but clearly they only got one-sixth of the reward, so there's still a lot of suspicions flying around as to their involvement in potential foul play. But, but then what was the point of the foul play the right product was still on the ship the ship was still you know they brought in the said ship right I that's just, the law i where's that money uh i don't teach I don't, me to bring you a ship i'll leave it out there next time yeah i mean but like what kick them off or, or possibly kill them and kick them off right and then bring it in and then hope to get a lot of money as a reward yeah is, is kind of the idea, yeah, or the theory. Huh. I mean, yeah, and then it kind of backfired because they didn't get that much. Right. I don't know. It's not, it's not too crazy. It's not too crazy, but I think given some of the... I'm just going off the logs and the natural wear and tear on the ship, and clearly the fact that it was... And, and this is, again, it does have to 
You do have to rely on the De Gratia crew's story a little bit on where they found the ship and when they found the ship. Because if they're lying on those fronts, then clearly it kind of muffles with all of the information that we know. Yeah. But I, I have a hard time believing that off the coast, eight nautical miles off the coast of that island out there, that that is when the De Gratia came after them, kicked the crew off, took the ship, waited a few days, pretended they found it. I, I don't know. Maybe but I feel like there would be some witnesses from that island. And you think it'd be much further away on their journey. Yeah. Then again, maybe that's just when they found them or caught up to them. Oh, man. They didn't really make much of, like, out of it, though. They didn't, like, get a big reward for it. Yeah. Crime doesn't pay. True. Turns out. Or I guess uh, it, uh, the other side of that coin is uh, good Samaritan work doesn't pay. Perhaps. <laughs> yeah. 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 If they're innocent. <laughs> yeah. Well, another popular theory, and as we always do, we steer into the supernatural. Another popular theory is that some sort of supernatural phenomena went on that caused the Mary Celeste to totally disappear. The ship had many strange occurrences before and after the disappearance. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of people thought that this ship was cursed or doomed from the start. Some say that they saw Captain McClellan's death as an omen of future events to come. I mean, and and he died way early on in the ship's life. Uh, obviously, this ship went through a lot of, a couple crashes, a couple hands there, and getting passed around. Um, but some believe that ghosts could have haunted the ship, scaring the crew into abandoning it and leaving all of their goods. Others believe that a giant squid could have plucked the crew off the ship one by one. <laughs> Of course, some believe that the Mary Celeste crew was abducted by aliens who probably wouldn't care about the goods of the ship that they carried, but rather the human specimens. I mean, the list goes on and on, but it isn't a Red Web episode if we don't dive into the supernatural at least a little bit. And I mean, I get, well, I could see the, the aliens being like, okay, we, we take the humans and then we take their navigational tools, but then what about the boat? And take one of those lifeboats too. Like, wait, wait, you think aliens flew down and said, take one of the baby boats. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, that ship had a baby. Weird. <laughs> yeah. Why would you? Yeah, I uh, I don't know, man, on that uh, one. I mean, the supernatural thing kind of plays in, in terms of, like, the history. It does. It, Definitely. That, that ship had a really messy history. A hundred percent. And I think it doesn't even have to be so on the nose. It doesn't even have to be, there are ghosts tap dancing on the sails. I think... Truly, you know, superstition is pretty heavy with sailors of the of the olden day, and uh, and it could be that I, whether it was part of the drinking, right? We still have those nine missing barrels. Mm -hmm. Whether it was just part of the ongoing circumstances that they got spooked by something. It could have just been that they had super like suspicions or superstitions about what was going on on the ships. Maybe some bad omens. It, it's hard to say, and they fled for those reasons. Now that to me, isn't entirely off the table. Yeah, I could see that. I, I mean, I could see that they they drank what was in the barrels and hallucinated and things went wrong. And then they mm -hmm. were like, all right, we need to get the hell out of here. Um, But it's kind of hard to believe that everyone drank that, especially like the family, uh, the captain's family, like, I guess, a, you know, wife and kid right. or kids uh, right. uh, drank that as well. But I don't know, maybe they're hallucinating to the point where they were threatening the family to like you know we gotta go we gotta get on this boat it's i mean she's the whole two. boat thing throws me the hell off <laughs> right i mean i i can't i got my own personal biases of course i'm i'm locked in that for whatever reason and that's what to me the theories are trying to diagnose whatever the reason is they absolutely all mutually hopped on that lifeboat and they said, I'm taking the sextant and I'm taking these papers and we are charting course to that island or somewhere. And then that is where something more nefarious happened. They capsized, something natural happened, they disappeared in that way and maybe we're right. lost at sea. Yeah, I, I see that. I see I that. Know. They got onto the boat and then, and yeah, it was rough waters. Mm-hmm. But that leads us nicely to this next theory, which has a couple different theories within it, and that it was some sort of weather conditions, some natural phenomenon that led the crew to either abandon ship or be forced off the ship, uh, but something extreme, something like a water spout or a sea quake. 
and I'll, I'll kind of dive into each of these individually. But let's talk about the water spout kind of sub theory for a second. So when it comes to the idea of a water spout, we talked about this, um, I think only in one other episode. They can be invisible, essentially a tornado at sea or in a large body of water. But let's talk about why people think a water spout in the first place. So the Mary Celeste was found, and when they found it, they looked it over, and they found that there were three feet of water in the cargo hold. So, you know, there's a decent amount of standing water in there. Mm -hmm. And also remember, everything looked in a pretty decent condition outside of being freshly wet. So whatever was going on, water has been in and around this ship quite thoroughly. It was also found that when looking at the ship's equipment, that much of it was malfunctioning. Perhaps they took the more hand-used tools to navigate beyond the ship to go somewhere else because, as I mentioned, the binnacle with the, with the compass in it, right, that was cracked open. It could have been that they were frustrated with it being broken. They wanted to diagnose what was going on, so they cracked in there to get their hands on it and see if they could fix it. But ultimately, it was malfunctioning. And a water spout could have caused a lot of this. You know, it's theorized that the water spout could have affected the barometric pressure that would lead to inaccurate measurements. It could have caused water to get onto the ship and cause some of the damage to the rigging and the sails. It could have caused them to think that their ship was absolutely going down, especially since they found that makeshift sounding rod, which was used purely to see how much water was at the bottom of the ship. They might have tested it out found three feet, maybe even more of water and said, okay, yeah, we're definitely going down. We got to go. And in the circumstances that they left the ship, it might've just been in a panic. Hey, we got to get off, leave your items. Doesn't matter. Grab the tools that we can carry the uh, measuring instruments for navigation. Mm -hmm. And let's just get the F out. So in that moment, they might've felt like, yeah, we're definitely going down. But uh, it turns out that the ship made it fine out the other side of that storm or what have you. Right. Only to be discovered. Yeah, I could see that. And then another unfortunate event happened to them on the on the escape boat. Mm-hmm. That, that, yeah, I can believe that. And it kind of goes back, too, to the sounding rod being found on the deck. Mm-hmm. If they said, okay, we made it out the other side of this storm, we're, we're heavily damaged, but maybe we're okay. I need to rig up a sounding rod. Okay, made one. Let's use it holy crap, this is imminent danger. We're going down quick. This is way more water than this ship should have. We need to get off now. So you wouldn't go put the sounding rod back where it belongs. You would ditch it. You would just drop it and run right. the boat. And so that's really where this theory shines, I think. Would, would you really ditch the boat and then just keep, you know what I mean? Like at, after some time, I don't know. I feel like you'd kind of sit around the boat. That's a good call, man. going down and you just go, wait, hold on. Are we sure? You'd, you'd see the boat for a while, too, probably. Yeah. I would feel really bad if they jumped off, got in the lifeboat, and they said, let's let's stay close. But remember, they didn't, they didn't put the sails back up. They were kind of messed up a little bit, but the sails are still down. And uh, so that thing might have taken off. True. So they're like, okay, it's going to sink. Let's get in the lifeboat and start heading to the nearest island. Wait a minute, the ship didn't sink. Wait a minute, there, there it goes. Oh, there yep, it goes. And, yeah, oh, they jumped the gun. Yeah. Well, a lot of people in kind of building on this theory, the last maybe little wrinkle here, as strong as I think that this theory might be, some people find it strange that Captain Briggs, as experienced as he was, and being a captain of the time, that it would be strange that he would abandon the ship, that he wouldn't go down with it, or in some ways try to just kind of hang with the ship, right? It's very typical for the captain to go down with the ship. Right. Um, but it could be, and I want to address that with my own opinion, he's got his two-year-old daughter and wife there. I was just about to say that. Yep. <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't know how I would really hold up against that. You know what I mean? Like Honor as a captain and honor as a father and family member, I think. Or, there's two different things there, right? You're not going to say, mm-hmm. go on, take the lifeboat. I'm just going to sit here. Yeah. <laughs> Raise her without me. <laughs> yeah. And the, and our son, when you get back, tell him have a good school year. Yeah, man, I, I think that this is entirely possible. I would be curious, because you mentioned a possible storm earlier, if any of the locals happen to know, I, I say locals, to those islands that are further out west of Portugal, because they could absolutely have a storm out there without Portugal knowing about it at this time. And then kind of building off of that, I know from just my own experience 
uh, and schooling, what have you, I'm not going to go into the details, that a lot of the hurricanes that we get in the Gulf and in just essentially the, the East Coast of the United States originate from not too far from that area. Maybe not those Portugal, uh, Portuguese islands per se, but mm -hmm. south of that, not very far away, in fact, there's, uh, I think it's the Canary Islands uh, off the west coast of Africa. A lot of hurricanes start there as tropical storms or start oh. as suspicious air currents that build up steam and make their way over. So it is entirely possible just, again, with my own, you know, civilian knowledge of storms yeah. and, and meteorology that, that maybe, you know, there was a water spout uh, kicked up from these more tropical weathers happening over there. The Canary Islands are almost equidistant southeast of potentially where this ship started going missing, where not where it was found, but where the last log was. It's almost like a, a equilateral triangle. If you draw from the last log location over to Portugal and down to the Canary Islands. So, hey, it's it's not far off from that storm location is all I'm saying. Yeah. And the storm could have just traveled. Mm-hmm. Or just like, you know, uh, whipped up a couple of uh, spiraling winds and created a water spout in just the the worst time as this ship is going by. I, I think like me logically thinking, I don't think it was anything that had to do with like mutiny or or a, a, a pirates or anything like that or um, foul play um, on the people that found through the people who found the ship. I think, yeah, maybe they just ditched it because they thought things were bad and then they fell into some bad weather. I tend to agree because, you know, it's almost like it's a, a written story how perfectly it's established that the captain was friends with the captain of the other ship, one. Two, that he was experienced of 18 years, handpicked this crew, this crew of men that he has worked with before and trusts or have very strong letters of recommendation and the fact that he brought his family along indicates that yeah, a lot that of there trust. was a, lo a lot of trust happening. And so I tend to agree with you that mutiny, while it can fill in some of the gaps here, just for those reasons, don't seem like they're, that it's the strongest thing that could fill in the gap. So as strong as I think that the water spout theory is, there's an equally strong, albeit quite different, natural phenomenon theory here that involves a sea quake, which I hadn't really known about until this moment, but essentially a sea quake is a disturbance on the sea typically caused by an earthquake. Nowadays, one could be caused by a submarine or some sort of vessel exploding underwater and creating a distribution of, of water, a disturbance, as it were. But um, a lot of people theorize that it's possible that a sea quake occurred because, or causing the damage to the ship, and the movement of the things inside. Maybe some of the water that built up in the hull, um, maybe some other things having to do with the alcohol, perhaps. So let's dive into that. You know, the empty barrels were found, and it is alcohol that's not meant for consumption. So that's where this theory really, I think, shines, is it addresses that. So perhaps the sea quake, boom, hits the ship, moves things around, jostles it, water gets on, whatever. That's mm -hmm. not the main point. The main point could be that these barrels of alcohol were made with red oak rather than the typical white oak, and that the, the more porous nature of that wood and the jostling of the ship could lead to them leaking. Now, alcohol is quick to evaporate, and it could be, you know, Captain Briggs, with his experience, could have noticed that the ship became pretty heavy with alcoholic fumes and decided that it was very unsafe and that an explosion was imminent, right? They're lighting the ship with uh, with lanterns. Oh. And, and if he's... Right? And if he's smelling that alcoholic fume, you know, however it got there, I want to say it doesn't have to be a sea quake. Um, but regardless, this is where the theory really shines, is uh, the idea that the air was strong with alcoholic fumes. Now... In testing this, we have Dr. Andrea Sella, a scientist at the University College in London. He created a replica of the Mary Celeste cargo hold to test this explosion theory to see if this was possible. He created an explosion caused by an alcohol leak. And then, what's interesting here is that even after Dr. Sella's explosion, there was no evidence left behind of the explosion. So it's entirely possible that the Mary Celeste crew faced some sort of fireball, I will say, instead of an explosion that the air lit, ignited, all the alcohol burned, you have a enormous wave of fire exploding through the ship, 
But because the alcohol burned, it didn't leave behind much damage. It burned quickly and fast, led them to get the heck off the boat because they were scared that the boat was going to go down or damage, explode even further, what have you, maybe light on fire. And it could have been only that once they got into the lifeboat was when they realized that it was too late, that the ship didn't explode mysteriously to them, I'm sure. And then that leaves us where we are today, that they got off board and were lost potentially at sea and the ship continued on as normal. That's interesting that the ship like essentially like blew up, but there wasn't it wasn't like your typical explosion. Yeah. That's oh, so weird. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah, and then they just forced them to go off the ship and they just uh that was a premature evacuation. Yeah. It's wild. I mean, Dang. especially you it's not got bad. That's not bad as a theory. It's very interesting. It's very, very interesting, especially to recreate it in modern times, right? With, uh, I I made a mock cargo hold with mock barrels, etc. They use butane, whatever. I mean, some of the variables are different, but the fact that it could, so to speak, explode and then show no evidence is fascinating to me. Yeah, it makes sense, you know? It really is. It's like that scene in Matrix 3 or Matrix reloaded anyway when when the building explodes and he's flying to dodge the fire i mean it could just be that that fire wafted through the ship really fast singed some eyebrows and they said we gotta go right this is dangerous get out that's wild i definitely think regardless i mean i i have one more theory here but i think that one of these natural phenomenons stands to reason here i think the only thing that this doesn't necessarily address would maybe be like the sails and some of the damage there. Uh, and I would I would suspect some scorching, um, no matter how fast the fire went, I would expect some right. level of- I was gonna think that, but I mean, I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's hard to say, you know, I'm not the expert here, but um, very interesting, very fascinating and, and creative uh, theories nonetheless. Now, the last theory that I wanna discuss comes from the Smithsonian Channel documentary called the true story of the Mary Celeste, and it presents a theory that the crew was simply lost. This kind of combines some of the elements from the previous theories and pulls them together in, I think, what feels a little bit more realistic. Uh, they claim that the Mary Celeste was off course due to their faulty equipment. Again, that was proven um, that it was faulty when they were investigating the ship. Uh -huh. And Captain Briggs, you know, being experienced as he was, might have believed just off of these faulty measurements that they were closer to land than they actually were. And that when they discovered that there was water in the hull of the ship and more than perhaps they had expected, maybe he was like, listen, it's safer to get out now and head to land because I'm confident that we'll make it to the island, to that land that I know is there. But he might have been mistaken because of the faulty equipment. And so when they decided to abandon ship for land, that's where it went wrong. Uh, their measurements were off and the ship ended up being fine. It might've just been a, a catastrophic fault of the equipment, ultimately. Yeah, and then it caused a premature evacuation. Oh, mm -hmm. that is like, yeah, I mean, you, you we rely so heavily on our instruments and if they fail us, it could lead us to doom. Exactly. And I mean, that—that that is the technology of the time, you know, imagine yeah. being at sea and losing all of your tech, you know, an EMP goes off or what have you. And let's then pretend that you're somehow an 18 year veteran of of the seas and you don't know how to use your more, uh, you know, like your, your sextant and your compass and et cetera, the, the non uh, non electronic equipment, you, you would be quite lost. And if you had your family on board, I think you would be very inclined to be yeah more wary than brave. Yeah. Uh, yeah. More wary and, and making quicker decisions to just mm -hmm. move to safety, get out and, and do yeah. things to prioritize your family. Absolutely. So it could have just been what, what ended up being a, a very, very wild mystery with a lot of holes built on a very simple concern of faulty equipment and the combination of the emotional involvement you would have with a crew that you are deeply ingrained with and your family. I mean, it's a, it's a sad story in the end, regardless uh, to, to see this disappearance, but this is only the beginning. We're trying out something, as I mentioned at the top of this episode, for mm -hmm. this month, uh, a selection of episodes that are all around a theme. This theme uh, this month is around disappearances. Uh, I'm not going to tease. You might be able to 
guess, hazard a guess as to where we're going this month, but there are some very fascinating disappearances over history, and I've been itching to dive into some of those in this show. And so I'm excited to dive into disappearance month, uh, for lack of a better term, and, uh, and, and kind of talk about some of those. I think it'll be exciting. I, um, there's probably some really popular, famous like disappearances that it's just not coming to mind right now. And oh yeah, yep, yep. And we'll see what happens. Oh man, I'm excited to talk about them. Well, thank you all for listening. As always, we're gonna see you again next Monday. This time for another disappearance mystery. But if you want to hit us up. We're on Twitter at RedWebPod. You can email us. We've read all of your emails, suggestions, feedback. We really appreciate it. RedWeb at RoosterTeeth.com. We always have our merch at Store.RoosterTeeth.com. All that good stuff, all of those shout outs. But anyway, thank you all for listening. Fredo, I'll see you next Monday. Yeah, that wasn't spooky. Thank God. I thought it was going to be spooky. Ghost ship. Ghost ship.